Hey, my friends, thanks so much for joining me for another episode of Real Life Talk. Appreciate you guys so much for taking the time to be here, to watch, to listen, however it is that you're receiving this podcast. Appreciate you so much. So thanks for all that you do. I'm excited for this interview, uh, to present this interview to you with George A. Wood. George is a pastor, author, speaker. He's a recovered addict and suicide survivor. Uh, he's an activist and trauma consultant. Uh, he leads people in the areas of faith, addiction, mental health, suicide prevention, and trauma recovery. Just an amazing guy. His story is absolutely incredible. Um, he's the author or co-authored the book, The Uncovery, Understanding the Power of Community to Heal Trauma that we've talked about in this podcast several times. And um, it's a book that I really, really believe is a game changer. I think you should get it. I think you should get a copy for you and a copy to give away on Amazon or on George's website. We'll share some links and information with you um, at the end of the podcast episode here. Full disclosure, this is a pre-recorded episode. George and I recorded this conversation ahead of time. And uh, we talked about some things I wasn't really planning on, but it was a really, really, I think, good conversation and important conversation. And uh, we talked about some of the implications of um, when a leader falls, you know, when a pastor, minister, somebody in a leadership position, a prominent position, um, commits some kind of a sin or falls into an addiction, sin habit, struggle, has some kind of a moral fa failure of some kind or whatever the case may be. What do we do? What should our response be in grace? What should our response be uh, as the people of God, as leadership coming around this person? That was a pretty big part of the discussion. We talked about some other things in the conversation as well, but uh, it's a grace-filled conversation about uh, helping lead people through recovery and uh, helping people be restored in their lives. And so uh, I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this conversation. Appreciate you guys so much for being here. Please consider subscribing to the podcast on whichever platform works best for you. Leaving a comment or a review is super, super helpful so that we can keep making sure these episodes get in front of more and more people. So thank you guys so much in advance. Now, without further ado, please join me in welcoming to the podcast for the first and hopefully not the last time, George A. Wood. Well, awesome, man. Thanks so much. Appreciate you for coming on. And it's it's really cool, first of all, just to finally meet you. I've heard I've heard a ton about you and uh, your co-author for the Uncovery, Britt Eaton, has been on the podcast a couple of times. And so we've talked yeah. about you a bunch. And I've heard, <laughs> you know, I've, in reading your book, I've heard a bunch of yours or read a bunch of your story and mm -hmm. I've heard some of your story even on some other podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, but it's really, really cool to finally just make that connection uh, here face to face with you. So thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, man. It's uh, I think the last time I was supposed to come on with Brit and something I don't remember what was going on, but something happened. So I'm just glad to finally be here. <laughs> so it's like I don't ever I, I, I think it, I think, you know, um, try to not bail on commitments. And so I think, unfortunately, you were the only one uh, that like during the whole early stages of promoting the book that I something came up and I just couldn't couldn't make it. So anyways, I'm here, I, you know, <laughs> for better or worse. Here we do it. Yeah. For better or worse. I'm, I'm here it's today. Great, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's great. It's just building the suspense. That's all. It well, would be really, really cool at some point to do that with both of you guys. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's kind of, I will tell you this and maybe this, I don't know, be exciting for you. I, uh, so I've been on a sabbatical for three months and, mm -hmm. uh, well, a little bit longer and I didn't even, I didn't, I haven't done anything publicly, um, until, this week 
I did a, I spoke in front of a the Hillsborough County family court system um, mm. on a topic that's very, I'm very passionate about, but this is my first podcast um, in, in, wow. I can't believe this, but it's really been almost four months. And oh. I mean, I've been doing my own podcast show for the last two, two and a half years. So been four months and it's the first time I've went that long. So here I am. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah. well, I'm glad you, uh, glad you're back. Glad you're back in action. Yeah. Cool. Hope, hopefully doing, hopefully doing better than I was right before I left. Let's just say that. <laughs> okay. Well, look, man, I, there's, there's a myriad of things that I uh, would love to talk to you about. Uh, I am curious since we were just kind of talking about it. Let's just, mm -hmm. I was going to kind of maybe save this for later in the conversation, but I'd love to know, cause I know you've kind of had a major life shift, right. And even a, a, a major shift in terms of uh, ministry and, and focus and stuff like that. So yeah. what is going on right now? Now it's funny because or we, can you share or is oh, yeah, it, are you yeah. in a place you can share everything, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, part of why I removed myself from the public eye uh, was because I don't have any problem sharing. And sometimes I should. <laughs> so, so <laughs> did you share too much? I so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think um, we all have different personalities. Mine tends to be one that externally processes and, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fairly highly um, emotional person. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I, um, I, you know, I am a recovered drug addict and, and alcoholic and suicide survivor who came from a highly traumatic past. And I come from a very volatile family that, um, you know, love language is uh, screaming. So, um I, I, you know, yeah, I can, I'm just going to say what's on my heart and what's on my mind. I'm very, I can, I have a tendency when I'm not in a good place to be very self-destructive and mm. um, I didn't want to self-destruct. I was with my spiritual father yesterday and he's like, I'm just so grateful that you didn't just blow the whole thing up and that, wow. you know, you didn't, you wow. didn't, you didn't uh, do something so incredibly stupid that you, ruined your legacy and your, and your life. Um, cause so many pastors do that. Wow. Um, so George, on, on that, can I ask you a yeah, question? Not, not go to for cut it, you off, but, um, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna talk a little bit about, uh, the uncovery, at least the book that mm -hmm. you wrote and co-authored co with Brittany in, um, the uncovery for anyone who's not familiar, it's, uh, understanding the power of community to heal trauma. And, um, I think you should like stop listening right now and go download the book, get it, you know, get the Kindle, get the whatever version of the book you can. I think everybody, everybody should read this book, whether you um, are in recovery from trauma, or you don't even know how to begin dealing with trauma. If you know somebody in your life um, who needs, you know, who you want to walk with, or even if you don't, because I guarantee you at some point you will. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's a book that that everybody, um, and definitely every Christian, every believer, um, should read. I think everybody should read this book. Uh, I, I can't, um, I'm such a big fan, dude. And I, I just can't say it enough. So Thank I'm you. just going to keep saying it. Okay. Every 10 minutes, I'm going to pause and just be like, wow, man, <laughs> get that covered. No, but uh, so the, so the question, the reason I interrupted you, not just for that. No, no. Um, it's... 
Yeah. I, I, <laughs> but I'll I, take um, every shameless plug I can get. So yeah, there we go. Let's yeah. <laughs> yeah. But look, dude, so it's understanding the power of community to heal trauma. And you mm -hmm. were just very, very open and transparent right there about what you said. You said, you know, I, I have I still, you know, I, I have this tendency to become very self-destructive when I get into a not so good place mm -hmm. uh, in my, in my mind, with my thoughts, all of that. And so um, how did, how do you, like, are you at the point in your life now where <laughs> for you, the uncovery journey of like the power of community and surrounding yourself with people that can help you through that journey, is that something that you would say, like, is that easy for you to do? Or is that something that's a struggle for you to do to go to other people when you know you're in a not so good place in your mind where maybe you could self-destruct or you could, you know, whatever, fall into some kind of a downward spiral situation? Is it something that's become like normal, natural, easy to you at this point to to seek out, you know, those of you, your spiritual father or those that are around you in community? Or do you still kind of find that tendency to like hide and you need to make a conscious effort to push yourself to do that i don't hide um at all and so awesome. i don't struggle with telling anybody my problems um they and this is part of like you know i think coming out of this what i'll be teaching a lot on is um i just said i was an eight in the enneagram that's a challenger if you mm. don't know the enneagram um I am a pretty strong self-willed individual and most of the people in my community and in my life, I lead. And so mm -hmm. um, I think what happens, um, you have pastors that are afraid to tell anybody they're struggling, but then you have a pastor like me, who's not afraid, but the people just feel very ill-equipped to help. Mm -hmm. And so they hide, they end up hiding because they're like, man, you know, we love you and care about you, but we don't know what to do. And so that hurts us. So we hide. And so, wow. yeah, you know, um, it, it's a struggle to help a leader. So the way I pastor, the way I lead is different than, you know, a church or something. These are people that I've been to hell and back with going through their recoveries yeah. and their sobrieties and their mental breakdowns and what have you and going through life with. And so, um, you know, sharing with each other is a, is a daily practice, but when my life starts to, you know, really show cracks and to struggle, they, they don't, they feel ill-equipped Ill to, to handle that. And wow. part of that is just, um, my personality and I, and I'm learning. I learned a lot over the last three months. Um, definitely still have more to learn, but, um, I'm learning that, there are things I could do to help the process along. Um, yeah. There's definitely ways I could uh, phrase things differently and a, um, a way of, you know, humility in which I could receive things. So, you know, there's, it's been a big learning process there, but in my situation, I think what was um, a bigger part of the issue was I lead or was leading a recovery based ministry. Okay. And at the same time, I have a, a, the Timothy initiative, which is a recovery in, in person, you know, in house 24 seven, you know, ministry. 
um, of people coming through heroin addiction and, and all kinds of hard life situations. So there's that. But then I have the Sober Truth Project, which is sort of where I saw my life going five years, four years ago, um, but was called back into TI because of a situation that happened with the other with my leadership. But I was really supposed to be out of there already. And then the book. And so I'm off doing, I think we did 15 interviews over six weeks. And, and it's like, it's like this, Duke, like right now you and I are talking in this space, two foot by two foot, right? I don't know sure. what's happening two foot to your left or two foot to your right. I don't, Just I don't chaos, know what's Just right. Right. Um, but, but that's all we're in this little space. And, and, yeah. and meanwhile, um, I'm in my space and people are, I'm trying to act like I got it, you know, my crap together because I just got to, wrote this book. But on the other side of my space, all hell is breaking loose. I got people relapsing in their houses. I got the electricity be shutting off on one because we don't have the power, enough money to pay the power bill. I have the homeless people coming in and attacking my, my outreach workers in the front. So I got, and, and I'm responsible for all of it. And then I got to, you know, that's in my office, but then I leave to go home and I live in the inner city. I live in a very high crime area intentionally to, to be a light to the, to the darkness there. But at my, in my house, it's, you know, we had over the last year, we've had major gunfights in my front yard and um, different things happened to my wife. And I, I mean, dealing with all of this and um. I just want to focus on this interview I'm doing with whatever news station somewhere across the country, but I'm struggling with all these other things. And I hit end on that, you know, record button on that podcast or whatever. And I'm, I got to figure this other stuff out and, mm. you know, tack on the whole, I, you know, was not supposed to be doing all of that. I had, I'd, I'd raised somebody else to be doing all that. And, and in this, ministry it's like sometimes people have a failure and so they had to take a back seat for a while and so i was thrust back into a full-time position of being an executive director um and a board of directors that i had brought on to help the other guy and and not me and we started to clash because they wanted me to be a certain way, which I was supposed to be out of there. I'd done it for 14 years and I was going to still be, you know, living in the inner city and still be working, you know, with Sober Truth Project. And we just finished a second book and I have a third book coming and, 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 you know, so I'm clashing with them. I'm, you know, so it's like, I think where people start to really crumble and some people can handle more than others is when the walls start to close in. And there's, there's a reason why we say, you know, you don't ever put, you know, a wild animal with their back to the wall because they're going to attack. And, yeah. and, and we're the same way. And so when all of the walls start to close in and, and Duke, and like I said, it's the first podcast I've done since I came out of this, I'll tell you, I woke up one day and did not like what I saw in the mirror. And there's the hypocrisy that I felt inside my heart for the way that people read the book and then they're thinking they're talking to, but then there's just the mere fact that I didn't like who I was. I didn't like the husband I was. I didn't like the father I was. I didn't like the friend that I was. And I didn't like how I felt internally 
ever so much like I did years ago when I wanted my life to end. And that feeling was back. And I was just like, what the hell has happened? This is supposed to be this amazing year. I, I'm a published author. People try their whole lives to do that. And here I, I have that. And I thought this was going to be happiness yeah. and joy. And I'm yeah. freaking miserable in every other aspect of my life is crumbling before my eyes. And I had, you know, uh, no choice but to just be like, I, I need to take a step back and, and connect with God and hmm. figure some stuff out and, and, and reprioritize. And number one priority going into it, you know, of course was my own centering and mental health, but I had to fix my marriage. Um, I had to. And, you know, you, my wife is an incredibly beautiful, strong woman who runs her own ministry and organization. And what I'd found is over, over the years, they're not, we're not the standard biblical version of submission and authority. You know, she's the little helper by my side. It's like, hell no, man, she's, <laughs> she's going full force this way. I'm going full force that way. And so we were, we were like two business partners going side by side, right. mainly, right. mostly. And so many things over the last decade had happened, things like with politics and the church crumbling politically, um, all these issues that had like, where do you stand? Where do you, uh, We hadn't even connected on that. And mm. I just knew uh, internally I had to get away and I had to fix my marriage first and wow. foremost. And um, I mean, there was no, I didn't, cheat on my wife or anything like that. I mean, it was just purely like yeah. when my wife looked at me and said, do you even like me? Wow. That's freaking wrong, man. That's just like, what do yeah. you, what do you mean? Do I like you? It's I, I love you. Yeah. I know you love me, but do you even like me? Cause I don't feel like it. Wow. And, and dude, if you don't sit your ass down after that, then you got a problem. Yeah. You got you got a serious yes. problem because nothing else is worth that. Nothing else is worth losing your marriage and your family. Nothing. No Money. church, no book, no ministry position, nothing. It's worth nothing if you lose that stuff. And so if your wife is looking at you saying, do you even like me? You need to sit your ass down and let the rest of the stuff crumble. But fix mm -hmm. that part of your life. Um, and, you know, I'm proud to say that, you know, the past six weeks, to, you know, to a month to six weeks has been the best we've ever been. My wife and I, the happiest, um, just, it's just been amazing. And we're we still have work to do, of course. Um, but I, I'm proud to say that part has come a hell of a long way and yeah. enough so that we both could be okay with me stepping back somewhat into, um, you know, whatever public ministry if that's what that's what we call yeah. it these days yeah <laughs> well dude oh man thank you so much again i mean th thanks for in, in the midst of of all that you know thanks for thanks for doing this thanks for being here I'm, I'm so glad to you know just see you here and uh where you're in the in this place where uh you know you have this uh you know testimony to stand on to say you know what like i can say for the past six weeks that this is the best we've ever been and i, I think it's awesome bro that you're you're living it you're living what you wrote about you know you're yeah. living what you've been teaching other people to do and we can see that happen where it's like hold on because you know so, sometimes uh 
and this happens for, to all of us, you know, on, on different levels, different stages of life. And, and then I think the way we, we respond is different based on the circumstances. But for all of us, I mean, there's going to be times in our lives where we have to pull back from something. There's going to be times where we have to like get in there and do the work that we don't want to do because it might mm -hmm. seem like such a mental barrier between like where we are and where we need to be or where we are and what we need to do to quote unquote, you know, fix the problem that we're mm -hmm. seeing going on in our lives. Like you said, you know, there's stuff going on. It feels like things are falling apart. But in the midst of this, the most important thing in my life, my marriage, it's like if I don't do something about this now, I might end up with, um, you know, we, we might end up with some major problems, even worse down the road. And even in spite of all that, like or, or apart from all of that, I mean, this is this is what matters. This is the person that that I love. And so mm -hmm. I just think, man, like practicing what you preach and just getting in there into like those nitty gritty moments and saying, you know what, like I've got to do some work here. I think bro, that first of all, it takes tremendous courage for anybody at any stage of life to, to do that, to recognize, to pull back, even in the midst too of like, I would imagine the, the spiritual struggle, the mental, psychological, emotional struggle of like waking up and recognizing, you know what, like, I've been in ministry all these years. I wrote this book. I'm helping these people. And yet these are the thoughts that I'm waking up with that are still in my head. You know, what gives, you know what I mean? Like, cause mm -hmm. the devil is such a freaking pervert mm -hmm. that like, he just wants to, you know, take anything, like any little, any little string that's hanging off and then yeah. just keep pulling it. And if we let him, he'll just keep doing it. He'll keep lying. And we can, you know, like none of us are beyond this stuff if we're not, staying in community and recognizing the grace of God, the goodness of God, his faithfulness. And we're, you know, we're not willing to, you know, allow him to work on our hearts, even when it seems like it's hard and, and just, you know, if, if we're not, a, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, um, yeah, all that, because like have, having that thought pattern of like, man, I've, uh, I'm, I'm preaching this stuff. I'm doing this stuff. I'm teaching this stuff. And yet I'm struggling with it myself or I'm mm -hmm. struggling with, you know, where I'm at right now. And, you know, again, I, I just think it's such a, a, a common normal thought. I don't know if this is what it was like for you, but I think it's a common normal thought that, you know, I've had. And it's like, well, um, if, uh, you know, I, I must not be qualified to do this anymore, or I, I must not be, be good enough for this if I'm over here struggling with it as well. And it's such a, first of all, it's a lie. Mm -hmm. um, but second of all, I think it's something that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of people in ministry, you know, struggle with that. And if we buy into that lie, mm -hmm. if we buy into that lie of like perfection or buy into that lie of having <laughs> to look a certain way and be a certain way or buy into that lie that says we're not allowed to have struggles. And if we have struggles and something must be wrong with us, or we're not as good as somebody else. And, Whatever it might be, bro. But anyway, I just so uh, admire um, the fact that you're you're living even what 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 this book, the Uncovery, uh, talks about of you know staying in community and being willing to make those hard decisions and take those steps of faith in a direction where you say even if you know I might not uh, outwardly 
be advancing like that right there, bro, could could just seem so hard for so many people mm -hmm. to say, like, I'm advancing right now, but I need to take a step back to deal on some stuff to deal with some stuff that's going on in my own life. And, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, man, like a lot of people could look at that and say uh, that makes me a failure or that makes me worthless or that makes me whatever. But it's honestly, it's the opposite. It takes so much courage. Um, and I just love the fact that you're living it out. And uh, and I think that it's a really admirable thing that you've been doing what you've been doing um, so that you can have a stronger marriage, stronger relationship with God, stronger. And you can be stronger to, uh, you know, help those that that you're helping in your life. You know, it's it's uh, thank you. Um, but, you know, it, it's so numbing when so many different things are happening. We lose sight of how we're feeling internally and why we're feeling that way. And so, yeah, we're disagreeing with you. You know, you're fighting with your wife or disagreeing or not on the same page with your wife. Mm -hmm. um, for, for my, my, in my marriage, part of what is complicated is we don't fight. So it's one thing if you're yelling and screaming at each other all the time, you know, okay, maybe we, but we don't do that. And so it's more that, silence uh which is just as bad don't get me wrong it's definitely just as bad but it's easy to just be like we're okay because we're not yelling and screaming at each other right True. so um but you know you're not connecting um and then you have you have an issues at work and then it's just like so easy to just become numb to what is actually happening and so yeah we're going to god and we're we're saying god uplift our spirits or we're crying out to god but we're not actually crying out to god for your marriage or for your situation with your your co-workers or the people you're leading or so you're not really identifying the problem what you're doing is this blanket like you know statement god make me feel better um and and it's it doesn't work like that you have yeah. to you have to pull away and like do the old psalm prayer of search my heart, O Lord, um, and reveal to me. But you got to sit around and wait for him to tell you. It's not a prayer that you do. And it's like uh, I prayed the prayer. It's like, OK, yeah. does not work that way. But before you know it, you start to realize, OK, life is a bunch of um stages or phases or whatever and they all have to align in order for you to be firing on all uh, all cylinders or whatever and so the you know i could feel like i'm miserable over here but if i don't realize that it began with being um not on the same page with my wife over here or mm. not fulfilled over here with my work. It's like you got to get to what it is that's leading you there. And as a, as like a spiritual formations guy, a, a spiritual director type person, I know that. But you just when it's you, you don't you stop thinking that it's yeah. you. And 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 I think part of it is, um, we don't have a culture of of support in these things. So we have the pastors or leaders, the Ravi Zacharias of the world that were obviously struggling. Right. But weren't in a position to tell anybody. Right. And then, you know, so many leaders are like that because they fear the old, you're not, I like what you said. You said you, you the pastor fear feels I'm not qualified anymore. But I almost think 
most pastors are so prideful. They're not thinking that they're thinking <laughs> really, <laughs> well, I, I counsel a lot of pastors. I'm saying that from a position of experience, wow. but, but it's, it's more, they fear the leaders around them saying you're not qualified. Wow. Because even if I don't feel like I'm qualified, yeah. I can put myself into a state of disillusionment where I'll just keep working really hard till I requalify myself. But if I put the power in your hands and you tell me you're not qualified, right. Right. well, I can't do anything if everybody around me starts to say I'm not qualified. Wow, if just dude. if within me, I think it, I can just work harder. I can try to pray harder. I can whatever, you know, typically yeah. it involves being yeah. incredibly busy, busying myself to build myself to a point where I feel qualified again, or um, basically I hate to say this, but I feel saved again. Yeah. You know, it's I'm, I'm trying yeah. to gain my salvation somehow because yeah. I've fallen, I've fallen away. And, and we just have to know that that's just, yeah. it's just, a, it's just a lie, man. It's a lie. Uh, but the reality is, yeah, there are cultures in which, you tell anybody your weakness, somebody wants your job. Right. That's true. It's just, it yeah, is. I, I think, I think the goal a lot of times with that, what you're saying is like, even, even if, um, cause it's, it's one thing if you're living a, a, you know, certain kind of a lifestyle, you're doing things that you know are wrong or you're, you're stuck in something that, you know, you know, you, you know, you shouldn't be doing. And your goal is, you know, you, you could have a couple different things. Your goal could be, I want to be free of this. Cause I, I know it's not the right thing for me. Or you could, your goal could be, well, I honestly, I want to keep doing this, but I want it to be covered up so that no one else finds out about it. But I think that if you're, if you're in column A, where it's like, uh, you know, I really don't want to be doing this. I want to be free. I think, I think deceptively what can happen with, you know, a lot of people is they kind of have this goal in mind of, I'm going to work on this just on my own and I'm going to work to get free from this before anybody finds out about it. Yeah, absolutely. So that becomes such a deceptive thing. And then unfortunately in, in, I would imagine the vast majority of the time, you know, maybe sometimes people escape that way and just kind of grit their way out or whatever. But I think more often than not, it just gets worse because really at the end of the day, we're just deceiving ourselves that mm -hmm. we don't need help with where yeah. we are, with where we are. But yeah, uh, you just nailed it. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've escaped sometimes in the past where like, mm -hmm. okay, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to stop doing this. And, and I, and I've been able to do that, but it takes a chunk of yeah. your soul. And so <laughs> it does you, you, it does. It takes, yeah. it takes a chunk yeah. of your soul and eventually you may get out of it that time. And it, but it, it just, it takes a little bit out of you each time. And I don't care how much time you put in between it. It's the guy who has the affair, ends the affair, recommits to his wife, and goes 10 years yeah. and never tells anybody. But he's honestly been a great husband in that 10 years and no more affairs and no more lusting and no more flirting uh -huh. and none of that. You're going to tell me that that didn't take part of his soul? Right. It did. It did. Because yeah. there's, there's that something that's in there. And believe me, that there's... What, plenty of wives that like, I don't want to hear about it because it's going to take a part of mine. It, it ended. That's behind us. Mm. And, and that's 
listen, I, I'm not here to tell people what the right thing to do in those moments. I'm just saying you're not going to be walking in wholeness. Right. And, yeah. and, and over time you just, there's only so much a person can take um, before mm -hmm. they start to crack under the pressure. And we, and that's this whole idea of the book in the, in the uncovery is like recovery is for everyone. And if we could get that through our minds, then we could begin to understand empathy on a whole new level. Then it's not yeah. as big of a deal. If you tell somebody you're struggling, it's not as yeah. big of a deal. I had this talk with my spiritual father yesterday. You know, it's like the, listen, struggling with something does not negate the finished work of the cross. I'm a finished work of the cross guy, right? Yeah. But there's sanctification and there's salvation. And so there's definitely, and, and I apologize if you're one of them, because I, I think everybody's entitled to their beliefs, but there's people that are like, listen, everything was finished on the cross. You shouldn't deal with any issues. Mm -hmm. right. That's the sin. The sin is you're still stuck in the old man. Mm -hmm. and, and there's a logic that goes around in there, but the reality is, listen, I'm not perfect. And the finished work of the cross did happen, is happening, is true. But I still got issues that I've got to I've got to work sure. out. And I can't be afraid that if I'm going to tell someone I'm struggling with pornography or I'm struggling with wanting to drink or I'm struggling with whatever I'm struggling with, that you're going to throw at me. Well, you're just not putting it on the cross and you're just not doing this or that. Mm -hmm. It's like biblical truths. Yes. But reality is I need somebody to walk alongside me and walk me through something. And it's show me that love of God that I don't feel in my heart at the moment. And yeah, it, it, it's just a whole different level of empathy that uh, a lot of people, I don't, I don't think they necessarily want to walk in because it takes a lot yeah. of effort. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's really, really good. Um, in the case of, let's say, cause we've been, kind of talking about it a little bit in the case of a, you know, pastor minister, somebody in ministry mm -hmm. who is struggling with something, whether it's pornography or, you know, some kind of closet addiction or closet sin habit or whatever it might be, but struggling with something that they're afraid to bring out. They're afraid to tell somebody about it. They're afraid to talk about, it, put it on the table, anybody, whether it's, you know, their spouse, close friend, leadership team, you know, whatever, they're just, they don't know what to do with it. And so they kind of keep it hidden because, yeah, maybe they're they're concerned about their job. They're concerned about and it could even be on the level, you know, like if I if this comes out, I'm probably going to lose my my job as a mm -hmm. pastor. I'm going to lose my position, which means, you know, my family, you know, we're not going to have income. We're going to have, you know, whatever it might be. So there's all kinds of, you know, fears, different things. You're concerned about the outcome. And I do think a lot of it is what you said, the, the pride issue of just not not wanting anybody to know because I want to maintain the. This, the symbol that I that I am as somebody who's, you know, not struggling with these things or whatever. Um, what do you think about like, do you think that the problem there in a scenario like that, which is a very common scenario, mm -hmm. do you think the problem there is like, like, the person, the minister, the person with the issue is like, is the problem fully with them? Or do you think it's like we there, there's also a problem that he feels that way in the first place. Like there's a system, a systemic problem that he feels that way in the first place that he can't be open and honest about his struggles um, because of, you know, the, what the consequences might be or because of, you know, just that feeling, you know, obviously I, I do think there is 
an over pedestalization that happens of a lot of people. We put them up and we say, well, because they're in this place, then we need to expect that they're never going to have any struggles of their own. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I, I, ju I just wonder, you know, yeah. great question. How much do you think that problem is on the side of that pastor uh, or minister or whoever? Uh, and how much of it is just like a systemic thing that we have to deal with where we create, as you said, that culture of support where there can be the freedom to express things and talk about things that, you know, <laughs> might get us into trouble. No, so. I, it's a really great question. And I think that this is where we have to um, fall into ambiguity, where there's a little bit of truth on both sides. And mm -hmm. um, because let's it could be either. I do believe the majority of the time it is um, the systemic problem because I, I, I don't, I, you can't, I can't speak that every system that is perfect, the person's going to confess. I, I can't right. because you're always going to have that guy who's like, I'm just not ready to be done with this. Um, but I do think we have to take a long, hard look at ourselves as, as leaders um, and say, Culturally, over the years, it has been um, an issue systemically. And it's like that in recovery overall. So for so long, we've wanted people to recover in isolation or separation mm. when we know that, you know, the, the answer to addiction is connection. Did you know that the answer to shame, right? And let's face it, shame is what you're feeling when you're doing something you don't want to. The yeah. answer to shame, and I learned this in my marriage counseling, so I can't even claim it on my own. The answer to shame is intimacy. Period. Wow. My so marriage counselor taught us that, and I was just blown away. I was like, that mm. is so on point. Shame keeps us in hiding. Intimacy draws us out of hiding and into relationship. Wow. What, what we fear in shame is to be um, disregarded and cast away. Intimacy reminds us that we can't be. And, and that is just so powerful, right? So I think systemically we've got to do, and I'm talking about church cultures, um, community, uh, Christian cultures uh, as a whole, um, and obviously, anybody watching or listening, I'm not speaking to every single one. That would be impossible. I don't know every single church or every single culture. But majority, in the majority, we need to do better at understanding intimacy than, than we do um, judgment. And that wow. means giving an atmosphere for people to um, come out and help us um, help them. Now... Uh, uh, if, if I could, I'd like to pose a, another question to me from you, which would, <laughs> which would be, um, which would, which would be, I would be asking Bro, if we me could just do that the whole time. My <laughs> job would be so easy. And I'll just... Right on brother. <laughs> but would be why, you know, a person who's doing something that they don't, mm. they're, let's say their system, their culture is perfect, but they still don't want to come out with it. Is it, you know, just that they like what they're doing so much, which is sometimes true, or mm -hmm. is it that they literally don't understand why they're doing what they do? And so it's a whole nother level of vulnerability to, yeah. um, to uh, telling 
you why I do. It's like one thing if I say, listen, I've been drinking behind everybody's back. I just really love the feeling it gives me. I understand it. There we go. But if if it's um, something like I am trying so hard and I don't know why I'm doing it. So a lot of times, if a person doesn't understand the thing that they're doing, they feel like they're broken or deficient in a way beyond what they're doing. So if I'm if I'm looking at pornography or whatever, I understand that is sin. I understand that is wrong. But deep within me, I know I don't want to do that. And so what is broken in me that is making that happen? And so that's a whole nother layer of, of trust or um, security a person needs to feel. And so we have to... Ha- so it's like I, I believe we have to help cultures be be more accepting and understanding and to provide an atmosphere for people to confess. But we need to do a better job of helping people understand themselves on a deeper, more mm-hmm. cellular level, um, which is on Monday. I spoke in front of the Florida court system and spoke on adverse childhood experiences and the effect on us long term as 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 we grow and a lot of that ties into pastors um, and leaders because often we become pastors and leaders out of a form of brokenness that we don't even realize we're, we're coming out of. And, and that is also part of why we end up in sin. If, if you want to call it, wow. call it sin, because the truth is Duke, we all have needs and, and, and that's normal, but we all try to fill those needs with different things. And, and a lot of times, if our brokenness is is leads us to have a need to be important or a need to be seen or a need to be heard or a need to be um, uh, the person who solves everything, um, it came from a brokenness that because that's not from God. Right. And so yeah. a lot of times we could be pastors and doing a fine job, but eventually that need isn't getting filled. And so we look for other ways to fill it. And so. Yeah. I think we need to help people understand them on a, uh, understand themselves on a deeper level and understand how to be empathetic on a whole new level. Wow. Wow, man. If, if, if I could ask you this question, because, um, you know, this is something that I, I think about uh, a lot and and I don't really know for sure what the right answer is. And I think it probably varies from well, for sure. There's variation from situation to situation. But, um, you know, one thing that I do see is when uh whether it's because a a minister or leader um, has been doing something, you know, that's been hidden, some kind of Mm -hmm. a a sin issue, moral failure, something they come out and either they, um, they bring it up, they confess, or they're found out uh, before, (laughs) before it gets there. You know, um, what do you think about just generally speaking, I guess, about the, the consequences that are, are imposed on our leaders that fail? Um, and you know, what do you think in terms of a, a, an actual real way that we can help to lead people through a process of recovery of restoration? Cause what I see a lot of times is that, um, you know, depending on what kind of, you know, even like the denomination, there's different rules and things like that, you know, depending on what denomination the, the event occurred in or whatever. But you know, what I see, what I've seen often, what I've seen a lot is 
that will say, oh, well, so-and-so had this issue, whether they fell into alcoholism or they, you know, they fell into, you know, whatever it was. Um, even if it's the case of a of a younger, maybe a younger minister, I've seen this happen where they weren't married. Um, they had a girlfriend and, you know, didn't nobody knew. But for the past year, they've been sleeping together. And then, you know, the leadership finds out or, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. Right. So find mm -hmm. out that something's going on. And then what we say is, well, we have to we're going to they always you know, it's always sit the person down and they're going to go through a process of restoration. What I see a lot, though, is that five years later, the person is still in the quote unquote process of restoration. And really, they've been written off by the leadership because of a mistake that they made mm -hmm. years ago. And we don't actually a lot of times know how to lead people through an actual process of restoring the individual, including restoring them to their you know, place of ministry influence, whatever the case may be. Now, I get it. There's some sticky situations when it comes to some really you know, heinous things. When we're talking about crimes. When we're talking about different things of that nature. So for the sake of argument, not really talking about those things, talking mm -hmm. about situations where. You know, somebody can be reasonably restored to their position or their, you know, or ministry, even if it's not at that place, maybe it's somewhere else in the future. But what do you think about the way that typically, uh, you know, consequences or, and restoration is handled in church settings? Mm -hmm. And if you just have any thoughts on maybe some healthy ways that we could do that so that we're not, you know, operating outside of God's grace. Mm -hmm. You know, I get sure. that we're responsible for our actions and the grace of God doesn't give us permission to to sin. Uh, but at the same time, we we are under a covenant of grace. And so, you know, just do you have any thoughts on how we can operate in with these kinds of situations from a uh, perspective of, of grace? Yeah, definitely. I think um, so. Obviously, it's a multifaceted, con you know, I could answer it and somebody's going to yeah. be throw out some wild story that like, well, that doesn't exactly. line up. It's like, uh, yeah, I get that. There's the anomalies here, but um, generally speaking, a big part of the problem is we're not trauma informed as a culture. And so we're not like, so pastors generally like have, uh, you know, pastor a um, has pastor B fall in some way. So he sends him to pastor like C way over somewhere else. And doesn't even know what Pastor C Probably. does. Yeah. Yeah. Pastor C eventually says he's okay. He sends him back. Bam. Right. Maybe he gets restored, but then he does it again. And mm -hmm. so then it's like, well, that guy's such a sinner that he did it again. That's because Pastor A has doesn't know his head from his butt. And so and doesn't want to take his time to know it. Like Peter denied Jesus three times, and then the church was built upon him. So absolutely, people should be restored. One hundred percent. Now you have to, and this Duke it goes into what I just mentioned before. There's layers of what we have to figure out. We have to figure out if they even became a pastor for the wrong reasons in the first place. And if mm -hmm. that's the case, then don't you? We should all be living full, fulfilled lives, doing a serving our purpose serving, you know, our living out our destiny, um, our call. And that doesn't have to be being a pastor. And a lot of times people, pastors, and I know many that have fallen be in, in after I've worked with them and gotten to the root of it, they never wanted to be a pastor. Their father yeah. called them to be a pastor. 
And at a young age, their father pronounced over them they would be a pastor. And so they became one. But they were miserable because they didn't ever want to be a pastor. They wanted to go be a rock star or something. I don't know. But they didn't want to be a pastor. So we have to establish, you know, that's part of getting to know the person, the individual on a deeper level. Like what brought them to this place of doing the things that they did? And Mm -hmm. the whole staff needs to be not informed about that individual. Some things are private, but you have to have an understanding why we do the things we do. And we honestly, we don't as a whole people um, just, you know, I want to serve God. I became, I got into ministry and, but it's not fully understanding ourselves or what God has called us to. And I think when we're restoring people, it, it always about, getting them in a place where they can hear from God again. And like, Mm -hmm. honestly, here is God calling you to this role again. Um, And there's so many great resources out there to, to do this, but most of the time, and I hate to say this and, and I'm not bashing the church at all. I am part of the church, but most of the time the pastor and lead is trying to save himself. He's trying to like, I don't want to look bad because of what this guy did. So the punishment that's dictated is really about me or my staff not losing the respect of the congregation. And church is a business and it's, you know, a machine and you don't want to throw a cog in that machine like a human being. And so it's not even about the individual. It's about how do we, you know kind of save face in front of people. And, wow. and, and part of that is real. I'm not saying it's not. I mean, somebody falls and does something horrendous that's on your staff. You have to answer for that as well. And, and I think it goes to, you know, knowing individuals on a deeper level, knowing, um, helping a person be restored through knowing themselves even better a person shouldn't be restored if they can't tell you why they were led to do what they did. They just shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, pure repentance um, and penance based doesn't work. And so I'm going to make you pay this penance by sitting you down for six months. And then it right. six months, you got to come back in front of everybody and say, you're sorry and repent. And then you're restored. That does not work. It just doesn't. That's it's behavior modification and behavior modification never works. And it, it doesn't, you got to ask yourself, are you trying to save face with your congregation or save the individual? And Mm. and at some point, are we trying to help that individual be saved? And, 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 I've seen a lot of pastors that have walked away from faith altogether because they nobody took the time to like really pour into them and say, what can I do to help heal you? So you're I there's restoration of position, but I want to see you restored before God and I want to see you brought into fullness before God. And I want to see you walk out your destiny and, and fullness before him for you as an individual out of love. Got to cover the rest. And so I, I don't think, I think, you know, 
systemically, I did a lot of, I did a few podcasts on the Ravi Zacharias thing when it happened. Mm. And, and, it, and it's, you know, it's the age old question of, of, you know, the board saving themselves and trying to make sure they don't lose donations and, and those types of things. Yeah. And I, I actually had a chance to bring one of his staff on my podcast and interview him. And I said, yeah, man, nobody knew. And he's like, George, they did. Here's the thing. They did. Behind the scenes, they didn't want it public. But behind the scenes, they knew of three things that happened a few years leading up to his death and did not want to do anything about it because they didn't want that their image to be tarnished. So that's a whole different that's a whole different ballgame, bro. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to you don't want to bite the hand that feeds. So you're not going to even do anything. And so I, I think all of the I. I, I think it's good. I mean, for me, like part of, you know, the next phase of my life is hoping to be able to coach and help, you know, churches in situations where they have leaders that fall, somebody to come in and be like, let me just help point you in the right direction because church bylaws aside, they're necessary, but we're talking about an individual. And yes. if you want them restored, there's a process in which we need to figure out how they ended up becoming a pastor and how they ended up doing the things that they did. And if they don't understand that fully and receive the healing that they need for that, they're either going to do it again, or they're not going to live out their God-given, you know, destiny Mm -hmm. and and fulfillment because they're going to be faking it. Wow, man. Do you think that, um, you know, in a scenario that happens, and again, I'm not talking about anything where somebody's, you know, breaking the law, um, that kind of thing. But yeah, I got you. Do you think in a, do you think in a scenario where somebody, uh, there is some kind of a moral failure that happens, and let's say the person confesses, the leadership finds out about it. Do you think that um, if it's not a public incident where it's not publicly known, do you think that it should be handled um, internally? Like without it becoming like, do you think that that we should make steps to um, protect the let's say the reputation of the person, uh, if possible? Like, so mm-hmm. not not intentionally exposing it to let's say the the congregation. Say, assume we're talking about a church, expose it to the congregation um, if it's not already public. Uh, do you think that it's something that should be? Uh, worked at where it's kind of more handled among the leadership and maybe some outside things are done and maybe some things happen, but how, how important do you think it is? You know, again, we're talking about an individual. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're talking about somebody who matters, who we, you know, we're not trying to just hopefully just throw this person under the bus and you know, whatever, but what do you think about, about that? Like as far Mm -hmm. as protecting the reputation of the person as much as possible while, leading through that restoration process. I know sometimes it's not possible because they've done things that has become very public or whatever. Mm -hmm. So in that case, I think you don't have a choice but to deal with it publicly. But uh, what do you think about, you know, do you think that's an important aspect of restoration that if it's possible, guarding the reputation and dignity of the person? Or do you think, yeah, what do you you think about that? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of public shaming for the sake of public shaming. Yeah. Um. There's a lot of, and I honestly feel like it's a protection to the congregation because Mm -hmm. you're going to have a lot of people that are immature there that, you know, 
they're looking for any reason to not trust or not whatever. And so you protect the congregation, but you also, yeah, you protect the person. Obviously I'm not talking about sexual things that somebody's a right. sexual danger to someone, but right. they, no, I, why public shame publicly shame someone. Now you got to be able to stand on your process of restoration though. And that's mm-hmm. where it gets tricky. And so if one day it becomes public knowledge and people are like, why wasn't this? then you have to be able to stand on what you did in order to restore this person. Um, I I see a lot of um, stuff on Twitter from a couple different people that are, that their sole mission is to tear down churches. And I only listen just because I want to hear what they have to say. But Mm -hmm. this one woman really has this good point that the whole, you know, DNAs, you know, do not disclose, uh, agreements that churches have people sign yeah that's a that's a whole different level of like deception where mm-hmm. someone who does something and and we put it you know they can't discuss the disclosure on this that's different where i want to be clear you said not a crime not a right. danger yeah and and not because everybody you know things can get twisted where I don't want it to get twisted. I'm not saying, you know, some things shouldn't be disclosed to your church. If a, if a person has done something especially sexual, and, and once again, I don't necessarily mean, you know, sleeping with his fiance before they got two days before they got married, but right. You get the point. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. In, in those, in those uh, more, I call them, even though it seems like, they happen a lot, but those more extreme circumstances where, yeah, where it's somebody that has, you know, a person with a leadership position that, you know, they were a, a sexual predator or something like that. Yeah, Obviously, exactly. that's, that's a different situation. And unfortunately, what we've seen happen far too often is that, like what you were talking about earlier, kind of defending the status quo or keeping the business of the church rolling mm-hmm. has been more important to the people involved, to the powers that be. Uh, you know, it, that's been more important than actually help, you know, caring for the individual who was wronged, who was hurt, who was, yeah, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, not to, I mean, there was a whole, a whole, <laughs> a whole denomination that just went through, yeah, still yeah. Going through this really intense. They will, they will be for a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, I appreciate the leadership that's there now that is, you know, taking the steps necessary to you know to clean house you know i i think from what i've from the little that i know about the situation you know i i appreciate the steps that are being taken now but it's it's so it's so after the fact and how many people were just hurt because it, it because of a a a culture of like you mentioned earlier well actually uh, you were talking i think you're talking about something different earlier but you know a culture of you know this person messed up we found out about it rather than expose the whole thing and bring you know whatever bring everything out in the open let's just move this person somewhere else but it's not dealt with and then what happens the person probably is going to end up doing it again and so now you know 20 years later or whatever it is you end up with a huge scandal where it's like you know if you would have just done the hard thing from the beginning and dealt with that the right way (laughs) you know if you dealt with that biblically and you dealt with that where you didn't you weren't focused on, you know, 
like protecting the people who did the 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 problem who started the problem but you were actually you cared about the the life of the person who was who was impacted by yeah, this absolutely and, yeah you know we don't end up with the whole thing kind of crashing mm -hmm. down well you know just a good example is um say you got a leader that you know is a recovered alcoholic and um you find out that the church finds out that you know on his days off he started drinking again and mm -hmm. it's starting to get out of hand i don't think that's necessary to put him in front of you know your 1500 person congregation and be like this sloth has started to consume alcoholic beverage i don't think that's necessary 100 percent, yeah but by the same token if you just shift it send them off to a different congregation like here's your punishment we're not going to tell anybody but we're going to send you over here right because now you you lost if you're if you're one of those congregations that has many yeah. things that's wrong too, because you haven't helped him. He's just going to go there. Now he feels guilty because he started drinking again. He's not going to stop because you punished him. He's going to drink more mm -hmm. because he feels shame. You've just made that problem worse. Now he ends up stealing from the church fund to go drink one night and it becomes exposed. And they're like, why didn't somebody tell us? That's then mm -hmm. that's like, yeah, somebody should have done something there. Not yeah. because you needed to embarrass him in front of everybody, but because no one tried to restore him and heal him, they just shifted, shipped him off. His drinking got even worse. And then he ended up stealing. And I say that because that's an actual story that I heard at a recent addiction conference. I went to where a guy said, that's what happened to him. He, he got caught drinking and they moved him. He actually got caught two or three times and they just kept moving him, but no one tried to help him. And eventually wow. he got, caught doing something even stupider and then it became like okay we yeah. we we all got an answer for this yeah i love what you said earlier man about um uh when when you mentioned peter and how he denied jesus three times and then he became the one that jesus said uh, we're gonna yeah. build my church on this guy yeah i thought that was really really cool and it, and it made me think about uh, what you said just now kind of brought me back to that. It's like, I love that that scene on the beach uh, after Jesus has ra raised from the dead b before he go he ascends back up to the Father, and when there's that scene at the end of the book of John where he's just talking with Peter, and he's you know asking those questions. Peter, do you love me? He says, You know that I love you. Yeah. He says, We'll feed my sheep. And and I just look at that as as that moment. I just look at that as as that restoration process where Peter, this guy who denied Jesus. And then mm -hmm. Jesus died. And then like throughout this whole thing, now Jesus came, you know, he, he rose from the dead and he's been there. They've been kind of seeing him, not seeing him. But then in that in that passage of scripture, it's like Peter and the disciples kind of not knowing what to do next. They went back to fishing. So they're out mm -hmm. there. They're out there fishing. And then Jesus um, kind of, you know, calls them out. They have that whole thing, catching the fish, all that stuff happens. But then it's like this really beautiful moment, I think, of restoration where Jesus is just kind of reacquainting Peter with what his identity is in the first place. And I, and I think that that was so cool, the way that you even in this whole thing where you talked about, you know, when somebody falls, you know, start from that basic place of finding out, you know, is this really who you are and what you want to be doing? Like, is this ministry thing, pastor, whatever this is like? do you want to actually go back to this? Like, is this something that you're actually called to? And then if that's a yes, then we can work to build it from there. 
And so mm -hmm. I just love that. I, I love that connection that you made. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, Peter, do you love me? And he's like, yeah, you know that I love you. He's like, well, you know, feed my sheep. And so he's kind of like going through that process of dealing with dealing with the shame, kind of stripping back those those layers of, mm -hmm. of shame and whatever else is there, failure. And it's like uh, you're you're not disqualified because of, you know, you're not disqualified because of what you did, you know. And of course, depending on what we're talking about, there's going to be a restoration process. There's going to be a, a time to, to learn, maybe to go to counseling, maybe to go to therapy, maybe to, you know, just whatever it might be. Maybe it's take a sabbatical, clear your head a little bit. Maybe it's get reacquainted with your wife or, you know, whatever it might be that's that's needed. But I do think that what you said is really, really powerful because it's like the identity of this person matters even in and maybe especially in this moment where they've been found out, they're dealing with shame, they're wondering mm -hmm. what tomorrow is going to be like, they're wondering, you know, if they're ever going to be able to be restored or not, you know, there's like this kind of cloud. And when we're so quick to kind of discard people because they've messed up, you know, without getting to the heart of, of the issues there, then, you know, I think that we're doing a major, major disservice. Yeah, the person did something stupid, or yeah, they, you know, they messed up, shouldn't have happened, whatever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, kind of like getting to the the reason, you know, for the brokenness behind, you know, what actually caused that to happen and dealing with it on an identity level first, uh, I think is a really, really, you know, powerful thing that you were talking about there. Well, if you think about it, it we literally are Peter in that scenario when we fall. There's been, I'm sure there's been these moments where we denied him and denied him and denied him. And so we need that process of, being reminded of who we are and in that restoration isn't just a ministry. It's to God, it's to God mm -hmm. himself. And yeah. so ministry is just, I really started to think about this before, you know, like when it came time for the sabbatical, because I found myself looking at my wife saying, I don't want to do this anymore. Hmm. Wow. I, wow. That's the problem. Like wow. I don't want to do this anymore. And the board of directors being like, will you, will you come back and do this again? And I'm like, no, I won't. And, and really sitting with God and, and being like, I love God and I love people and I love helping people, but I don't have to do this one particular thing. You know, I don't have to run these four houses and, and deal with the day in and day out of, of that. I mean, I, I love them and love that, but I don't, that's a lot of pressure and I don't need to do that. There's other things I can do because here's the thing. We're never disqualified from God. Hmm. We can be disqualified from a church building and church staff, yeah. but we can't be disqualified from God. And, and in the end, we're called to love people and we're called to disciple and, and, and show people the father and, and disciple them and all that. It's in a church or it's not in a church we're talking about paychecks here. That's all we're talking about. Yeah. Really. You're talking about where you get your paycheck from mm -hmm. because what you do for God should never change, should never change. And so, and unfortunately that whole paycheck thing causes people to stop following God. And so we, we've really got to, we've got to do better at understanding people um, from start to finish what they went through, why they do the things they do, why they've done what they've done, why we do what we do. Why, why does, if you react poorly to someone telling you they've fallen, why? 
what's in you that's because that's not that's not Jesus. So yeah. these are just deeper yeah. questions. I think it's just easier to not have to think about. And every pastor, I, I did a whole series last year where I interviewed a bunch of pastors and they basically all admit it. I just don't want to do that. I don't have time for that. And it's yeah. like, but that's what we're called to. Wow. Wow. That's amazing, man. Um, it's so it's funny. This is not <laughs> this is what I imagined we'd be talking about. I do that it's, to a lot of people. I, I just kind of like I did not think we were going to be talking about this. Sorry, <laughs> we could start the interview now. Ask away. <laughs> no, nah, man, it's all good. I I think uh, that's a conversation that I'm I'm glad it was um, it was cathartic for me in a way. I've I've been uh, it, it's just a, a lot of these things that we're talking about. It's like things that are on my mind a lot. And you're helping me process some things and understand some things. And so I um, hope it was a, it was good for other people listening too, but I know for sure it was, I hope it so. Was, it was hugely beneficial for me. That's so where, I I, that's where I'm, you know, I just, it's, I'm just right now, all I can do is talk about what I've learned over the last few months. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and a lot of it is things I've known or whatever, but this is me going forward. I just really want people to understand. And I mean this in a loving way, but I felt really let down by some people in my life when things happened. Wow. And, and I've forgiven and worked through things and had open and difficult conversations. But I, I, I realized that it was my discipleship that taught them how to do what they did. Mm. And so I was like, damn, I've really got to humble myself and recognize like, yeah, I can yeah. be mad at them, but I'm the one who discipled them. So, wow. I've got to do better. If I'm an advocate for mental health and I'm an advocate for helping people be restored, then how are the people closest to me so bad at this? Mm -hmm. And I've, wow. and I've got, I got to answer for that. Not them. That's me. And so just trying to help other people like engage in conversations that people don't want to, because honestly they're, they're time consuming and draining and it's just easier to ship our problems off to someone else. Mm -hmm. But we can't. We can't keep doing that. Not if we want to. I think if the church body wants to grow and understand recovery better and understand how to help people. And ultimately, I think it's to understand ourselves better. Because the one thing that scares me about one verse that scares me the most is Jesus saying, you know, yeah, you've you've just you've done all these things for me, but away from me, for I did not know you. Mm hmm. With the emphasis on you, I did not know you, meaning mm -hmm. you internally. Like, who are you? Like, sure, yeah. you can go do deliverance and you can go speak words of prophecy and you can go love and whatever you're doing. But I don't know you as a person. You never came to me with what's really wrong with you. You just brushed over that. and You want to go tell other people to turn to me, but you've never turned to me. That's terrifying. And it should be yeah. terrifying to yeah. every pastor out there. Yeah. 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 No, it's, 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 oh man. Um, because the, the things that we do, you know, so often what we do or what the, what people in the church world do is we mistake, you know, somebody's platform or fame or voice or whatever for, you know, we, we assume that if they're in that position, or if they have the following that they have or whatever. Now, I mean, anybody can have a, a huge following, you know, on, yeah. on 
Twitter, TikTok, whatever it is. And, and in the church world, we assume that if somebody is talking about Jesus, they've got a ministry behind them or something, and they've got, you know, they've amassed this popularity or whatever that they have, then there must be the character to back it up, or there must be whatever it is. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I come back to, you know, the, even on the other side, you know, the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. And so just because you have, you know, you have a ministry gift and you're able to get people free, you're able to, uh, you know, preach a powerful sermon, you're able to heal the sick, you're able to, you know, whatever you're able to do. I mean, that's all great, but it's, it is, it is crazy to think that we can do all of those things and not, and not necessarily be connecting with God on an intimate and personal level. And we can keep that going for a season of time Yep. without having that, you know, even that personal, just relational intimacy with God to back it up. And that is a, that is a, a scary thought. Yeah. Because if he's yeah. not the source for the ministry that's coming out of us, then I mean, I don't know what we're what we're leading people into, but I, I don't think we can sustain it. And yeah, there's I, no I, reason to sustain it. I wonder if if he's not the source, is he even your destination? Yeah, right. That's yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying it like that. <laughs> yeah. But really, right? Like, yeah, you're doing those Absolutely. things, but where what do you what the, what what are you doing? Yeah. You know, yeah. if, is he even the destiny? Don't you want to be like him? Yeah. I mean, yeah, because then the ministry itself almost becomes your you, you almost begin to idolize the ministry itself. You you begin to idolize oh, yeah. the stuff that you're doing and it becomes the like that becomes the goal. That becomes the thing. And the ministry building the big ministry is never the goal. The goal is Jesus. The goal is him. The goal should be him. And, and, and as we're going after him, yeah, we're going after him. And because he loves people so much, we're helping people get free. We're helping people get saved. We're helping people get healed. We're helping people come into wholeness. You know, we're helping people do these things, but he's the goal. So he's yeah. the, as you said, he's the, he's the source and the destination. And when we, absolutely, yeah, that was really good. Yeah. He's supposed to be anyways. So yeah, supposed to be. One yeah. more question for you, man. Um, yeah, dude. And uh, it might seem like I'm I'm uh, switching things up, but uh, you you mentioned something earlier, and it's been in my head ever since. You were talking about how, you know, there were when you were kind of going through some stuff, and people around you didn't necessarily know how to respond to what you mm -hmm. were going through, so they went into hiding. And so I've been ju I just wanted to ask you this question: yeah. What's a better response for somebody that's on the other side of it? So somebody that maybe. Um, they're aware of something going on in somebody's life, or maybe there's somebody who's talking to them about things that are going on in their life and they don't know what they can offer this person, or they don't know, they don't feel equipped. You know, maybe it's a situation that they don't have any experience in of their own and they're not sure what to do. They, I'm not talking about people who don't want to help people who want to help and they have compassion, yeah, but because they don't know what to do, they have, they, they, they hide yeah for fear of, I don't want to say something that's going to make it worse, or I don't want to mess this up. What do you think is a better response? Just as something, you know, some practical things that we mm -hmm. could learn how to do with people that we might not have the answers for, but we want to help and we want a better alternative to hiding from them. Yeah. <laughs> Cause we don't yeah. know how to deal with it. Yeah. Um, so great question. Um, it's interesting, you know, that they, that the number one technique for preventing suicide, do you know what it is? 
talking to somebody. I would. It, it's to ask directly, are they thinking of killing themselves? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the number one way to prevent a person from doing it. People say things like, you're not thinking of killing yourself, are you? Uh, you're, you're okay, right? Um, stuff like that. Yeah. And ultimately, people, it's a, and I, let me think, let me, I can be too aggressive. So I'm going to say this nicely. Um, it's really our own insecurities that prevent us from doing what we're supposed to do. Not, yeah. we're not worried about offending the other person. We're not worried about making them do something. We don't want to ask something that we feel stupid at. We're not comfortable. It's called passive confrontation. And we're not comfortable doing that. And so the number one thing you can do when somebody is struggling is say, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do to help you? Yeah. What can I do for you? And spend time with them. Mm. I No one was asking me how I was doing. No one was literally like there, maybe the indirect ways, Hey, you know, yeah, things will get better. Or, you know, but to, to look at a person eye to eye and say, I know you just went through some horrible shit and I can't imagine what that was like. Yeah. Is there anything I can do? Yeah. How are you doing today? Right. Simple, simple, yeah. direct, questions from the heart when you have time to do it don't ever yeah. be if a person is struggling don't ever let on that you got a hundred things to do and you're in the middle of doing something but hey real quick can i do something for you no nobody struggling yeah. is gonna be like yes please stop what you're doing because i am so important yeah, that's a whole no, different person yeah, yeah yeah it's no i'm good yeah. so it's like listen wow. i've you know i've dedicated some time to be with you today how are wow. you doing? What can I? Yeah. So it's just simple, direct questions with unabated time for the person, the ministry of presence. That's yeah. all I, I, I really wanted. And, and I didn't have a lot of people doing that. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Being present with people. I love, I love that you said, I love the practicality of that. Just asking those direct questions. Direct um, is always better. I mean, yeah. A direct question is, I mean, I know that we want to think it's going to make them be wor feel worse, but it's, it's, it's not. Yeah. It's not. I, I think that that is in a lot of people's heads. It's like, if I ask this person, you know, it's kind of like, well, if I ask this person, if they're thinking about hurting themselves or if they're thinking about, you know, suicide, like if they're not, then am I putting that thought into their head? And it's like, no, like it's, it's, no. that's not, that's not what's going on. Just, just ask, like. Mm -hmm. Just, just be, just be bold enough. Like, Hey, I need to make sure, you know, <laughs> I need to Honestly, make sure before like, it's actually the opposite. It's actually the opposite. It, it doesn't put the thought in their head. It may make them be like, Oh crap. I need to like straighten up. People are thinking that about me. Like, wow, I'm not really oh, that bad. Hey everybody. I'm okay <laughs> for real. And so even if you're like going to a person, like, Hey, how, how are you? You know, are you doing okay? Can I do something for you? If it's not going to make them do worse, it may be like a wake up call to say, I must be showing that I'm doing way worse than I am. I'm no, I'm, I'm okay. You know, it, it, it actually works opposite. So yeah, 
and and stay consistent, you know, stay, you know, it's the fruit of the spirit, right? Stay faithful, stay consistent. If you listen, I'm going to, I'm going to come back over tomorrow at three o'clock to check on you again. Damn well show up at three o'clock. Yeah. All right. Yeah. If you tell some, my spiritual father that I had years ago, he's since passed on to be with the Lord, but he used to teach me, I would say things like, yeah, I'll give you a call. And he would be like, when? Later this week, when? <laughs> I don't know. It's a passive thing. He was like, he was like 35 years older than me. I'm like, I, yeah, later today, Tuesday at 12 o'clock. Okay. Thank you. Now I know when to look for your call. Be a man of your word, wow. George, be a man wow. of your word. And so it stuck with me. But the reality is, is like, if I'm struggling and you tell me you're going to check on me and you don't, do you realize that's going to make me feel worse? Right. Yeah. If you tell me, George, I'm going to check on you again tomorrow at three o'clock. That tells me that you care about me so much. So you're planning the next time to check on me. Right. I must be important. Yeah. At at least, at least important enough to you that you're going to schedule a time to check on me. Yeah. But, but the inverse is true and you don't show up then. Yeah. Yeah. That, that also shows me that, I'm not worth anything. So mm-hmm. stay faithful to your yeah, word, I mean, like, man. Yeah. Put that, put that in your phone, you know, like put that, put some kind of, yep. however you remind yourself of things, but you know, give yourself a calendar, like some alarm that's going to go off Yeah, something because it really does matter. And sometimes, sometimes um, that's like all, not, not all, but that's what somebody in the moment, you know, what somebody really needs is, as you said, just the presence of somebody who they know cares for them. Because when you do, when you get, I mean, you know, when you get into that place where where you're just kind of feeling surrounded by darkness and you're not sure which way is up or down and you're overwhelmed by things, you can start to feel very, very alone in that. And, you know, when you just have that that person that's willing to kind of get down in the in the trench with you, so to speak, and to show them that, like, you are somebody who who cares. It's not true that nobody, you know, people have this thought like like nobody would be nobody would care if I'm gone or whatever. Like that like that's not that's not true. But let me show it to you. You know, I can talk to you about how, you know, your your family is going to be upset, your family is going to be this, your family is going to, you know, that, but I can also um I can also show it to you right now mm-hmm. by, you know, by being here with you because you matter you matter to me. You know, whether right. or not you're articulating all that or not, but just that that uh that closeness of and that willingness to to just sit with somebody when they're going through something is a big big deal yeah it really is and let me just add this you know obviously as christians we pray for people um be cautious in in praying for people like um and putting your expectations on them to act a certain way like i've had friends that had cancer and they hated people praying for their healing because the person would be like, you feel better, right? You feel better in your area? It's like, no, I actually don't. Now I feel like I let you down because of your freaking prayer. Yeah. So it's like, we got to pray for people in whatever fashion you pray, but don't be like, you feel, are you feeling better? Is it did prayer work? That's your expectations of the prayer. Don't, don't add to them that they need to act a certain way after you're done praying some real big supernaturally laced prayer. I'm all about that too, but when you're dealing with somebody emotionally, you don't want to put them in a place where they feel like, yeah, I guess I feel the sadness gone. I'm better. 
You just yeah. got be cautious, man. Don't 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 yeah. put your expectations on them. Yeah, that reminds me of um, I was I was uh, listening to to Randy Clark, and he was obviously a huge healing ministry. They see people healed all over the world, and yeah, um, global all kinds global of missionaries. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All, uh, just all kinds of things. But he was talking about an experience where this this woman didn't get her healing, and they had spent they'd actually spent um, hours with this woman, you know, communion, doing communion together, praying, just believing it, doing all the stuff that they normally do. And, and, uh, you know, nor they get a lot of breakthrough in, in healing, yeah. but this woman, she had cancer and, um, she was, you know, very, very close to death, you know, was the, was the prognosis and they spent hours with this woman and didn't see healing happen. And when they got done, you know, when it was, they were wrapping it up, their their response to her was uh i'm so sorry like i'm so sorry like we did it we did everything we we know yeah. to do and I, in other words they they put it back on themselves they didn't put it on the person because that person could have gone out from there if they weren't careful yep. that person could have easily gone out and said well something's wrong with me god healed all these other people yeah but i didn't get my healing so i guess god didn't want to heal me and they could have yeah. easily gone out with that kind of mentality. So I just think that when it comes to ministering to others, mm -hmm. don't put your whatever, your yep. whether it's insecurity, your expect, don't put the weight of that on that person and make exactly. that person go out and deal with the the weight or the shame of whatever that thing was, mm -hmm. uh, because we're doing them a disservice. So it, any way that you can, I mean, kind of flip the script, you know, back on yourself or you carry the weight of that ministry that you're trying to give to this person and don't you know don't don't make them leave make sure they're not leaving feeling you know like they're carrying something extra that yeah that's gonna weigh them down you know yep i've read that story before I, I read a lot of randy quark stuff and yeah it's a great oh, yeah. story yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah no i do i mean i'm all about that stuff so i don't mean it in a way yeah. that i'm not i just mean absolutely literally don't do that to someone yeah. 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 So absolutely, man. Absolutely. Cool. Um, bro, I appreciate you so much. Thanks so much yeah. for your time and everything. And I, would you uh, give a, your own kind of plug for the uncovery before we go, just what mm -hmm. it is in, in your words and the heart behind it and, um, who you think should read it and, and, uh, you know, however you want to handle that and, uh, let us know where we can go to find, um, that and some other resources, sure. maybe you mentioned the podcast, whatever, anything or anything uh, currently that you're working on. I know you mentioned another book and some other things. Yeah. Where can we go to get those resources? Yeah. Excitingly, we finished the second book, which is the uh, Uncovery Devotional um, Rethinking Recovery 365 Days. Um, and I just got the cover art today. It's pretty cool. It won't be out till later this year, but, mm -hmm. um, it's the follow-up to the uncovery, which is, um, you know, really the stories of the last 15 years of my life. Um, my wife and I, and the ministries that we run here in the inner city of Tampa, and just the things that we've learned about helping, uh, healing trauma through community and living in community and the way that, um, you can walk with people through some of the most challenging things, um, yet do so in a way that brings honor to God and, and, and honor to their lives, no matter what the outcome is. I, I always say, I think more people die in the book than live in the book because it's a reality of life. And um, I think everyone should read it if you're a Christian or a non-Christian, because there's hope in it, whether you're the person struggling 
Um, and there's some new ideas if you're the person that's leading uh, other people, whether it's mental health issues or suicidal thoughts or addictions. Um, I believe that recovery is for everyone. And I also believe that recovery is the gospel. It's the gospel mm. of Jesus Christ. It is the life-saving gospel. And I believe that it is going to bring revival if we as a church could really grab a hold of not being afraid to not know answers and not being afraid to answer when the person we're trying to help doesn't make it. Because no mm. one thinks everybody bats 100. No one thinks that. So as a church, we've got to learn to be okay not batting 100 and, or at least, you know, acknowledging it, you know, maybe not okay with it, but not acknowledging it. So I really, I really hope that leaders will read it. And I hope those that are struggling will read it because it is a different take on, on things. Um, I read a lot of recovery stuff out there and there's nothing like this. And I don't just say that because I wrote it, but I wrote it because I wanted it to be different. Um, yeah. and I, and I think it really is. You can find it at, um, on Amazon and there's also the uncovery book.com where you can go and learn more about it. Um, you can check out more about me at, um, georgewood.com or the, the tattooed pastor.com. Same, same website. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I have a I podcast. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, I have a podcast, the sober truth podcast, uh, YouTube station that, you know, the sober truth podcast with George A. Wood, um, where you can see some of the people we have big interviews coming up, um, in the next few weeks, I'm interviewing, uh, Brian head Welch from corn. Um, uh, Brian, si yeah, Brian Simmons, the author of the passion translation. Yeah, man. Um, Timothy King, the author of Addiction Nation, um, uh, a Ed Treat, the founder of Addiction in uh, the Addiction Ministry up in uh, Minnesota that I went to that is just phenomenal. And just some just great people that we're doing some interviews with, uh, you know, E.I. the King, this Christian ra uh, rapper that just got did 13 years in prison and tells his story. So it's going to be a good season. So check it out. That's so cool, man. Yeah, please yeah. check that out. That sounds amazing. Um, and I just want to add one more time. Uh, the the Uncovery, I, I really, it's it's a game changer, man. I uh, appreciate you guys so much. I know it was a labor of love. I know it yeah. wasn't easy getting it out there. And yeah. uh, man, you'll have to come back. And uh, I'd love yeah. to kind of talk about even the process of writing it and getting that <laughs> yeah. stuff out of you and into the world. I'd, I'd love to uh, go down that road. That's what was in my notes for this discussion to kind of ask you a little bit about that kind of stuff. But yeah, sorry we about that. Direction, but no, yeah. not at all, bro. It was, yeah. it was great. I really enjoyed it. That's my that's that's ultimately my goal is to have a, a living conversation. So it often goes a different direction than what I planned. And that's actually my favorite thing. Awesome, uh, man. To do. I'll come so, back anytime. But yeah. But yeah, we'll do it again. And uh, but it, it is uh, it is just a, a game changer. And um, I appreciate it so much. And I, I already know. It's helped so many people. It's going to continue to help so many more. So just thank you, man. Awesome. Thanks for you. Thank you for all you're doing. I appreciate that, dude. This has been great. Well, thank you, everybody. Bless you guys. Come back for another episode. You're the best.